The End Times Election A Rational Take on Bible Prophecy for Our Age by Abdiel Leroy For all the apocalyptic sights of burning forests and livid skies we have seen in recent weeks, and amid unprecedented political upheaval in the United States, it would take a brave soul, or a very foolish one, to swear we are living in the end times. If we are to glean prophetic insight from the Bible, let us at least heed its warning that, concerning the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, even angels long to look into these things. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 So if angels do not know the timing of the end, who are we to say we do? History is littered with fool prophets who have listed their times and dates and paid dearly for the error. But Scripture does permit, nay encourages us, to identify trends that align with its predictions. Christ himself said in this context, Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Mark 13, 28 So allow me, neither priest, pastor, nor pope, neither seminarian nor ordained, just a man who loves the Bible, to draw your gaze toward the buds that have long sat dormant in plain sight, but which now begin to awaken. It begins with the book of Daniel, as so much end-times prophecy does, where many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Daniel 12.4 In this age of data harvesting, and an exponential surge in published falsehoods via social media, it is surely no stretch to see this fulfillment in our times. Daniel is also among the Old Testament prophets who foresaw an end-times covenant between Israel and its surrounding nations. Here we may cite the recent U.S.-brokered accord signed between Israel, Bahrain, and UAE, with more Middle East nations apparently slated to follow. Meanwhile, Scripture tells us the beautiful land has a central role to play in all this, to which nation might that refer? Ask the Chinese where the word for America is Meiguo, meaning beautiful land or beautiful country. Bible prophecies also foretell a man of lawlessness, and here the New Testament joins the chorus of ancient prophets, both in Revelation and in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. I must admit I always expected such a man, if he ever showed up in my lifetime, to be a far subtler and smoother operator than the current White House occupant, but Donald Trump's contempt for just laws and treaties, domestic and international, and for court rulings, renders him a fitting candidate. I could write a book, and others have done so, on Trump's growing litany of constitutional violations alone, but let one concrete example say it all, that he calls to bring back worse than waterboarding a cut-and-dried attack on the Eighth Amendment's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment. Also, with just weeks to go before the 2020 presidential election, when trailing in the polls and asked if he would cooperate with a peaceful transfer of power if he lost, he calls to get rid of the ballots and there won't be a transfer. In all this, he is upheld by a legion of operatives, state legislators, governors, judges, political appointees, who in a bewildering marvel of dark coordination are manoeuvring to steal the election on his behalf. Amid purging of voter rolls, 
removal of polling stations in inconvenient districts, destruction of mail delivery systems and the like, all while sowing fear and confusion among the electorate, one can only infer the orchestration of an intelligence higher than any individual could muster. The Bible also prophesies a beast empowered to utter proud words and blasphemies. Revelation 13.5 Presumably this beast is not some enormous rampaging monster such as science fiction movies spawn, but a metaphor for a power structure or belief system, such as empire or party. But whatever it signifies, Trump is harnessing its blasphemous spirit. For example, in his first address to the UN General Assembly in 2018, he managed to sandwich his denouncements of other nations and his threats to totally destroy them between an opening call to the Almighty God who made us all and his closing benediction, God bless the nations of the world, God bless the USA. And while juxtaposing righteous declarations with unrighteous threats, he continues to attend prayer breakfasts to enlist sycophantic religious leaders to lay hands on him and even brandishes the Bible with churches as his backdrop. How does he get away with it? How is he not drummed out of office with the metaphors of denouncement that Christ coined for the religious leaders and Pharisees of his day? Vipers, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, and so on. Surely not by his own powers of persuasion, but because it is so decreed in another realm. Trump, by his own definitions, is a man of lawlessness. Whether he is the man of lawlessness remains to be seen, but observation and evidence point in that direction. One piece of the end times puzzle remains to be found, however, and that is the abomination that causes desolation, mentioned in both Daniel and Matthew. Some great act of sacrilege is foreseen. It's unlikely to be anything so brazen as defilement of altar, cathedral, or church. On the contrary, these tokens of righteousness will likely be kept intact to maintain the godly facade, but it could refer to some other value or institution, once held sacred amid the crumbling ruins of the American Republic. The ballot box, perhaps. True, it was already much defiled and bent out of shape long before Trump showed up in the political arena, but how much more so now? And, as we have seen, the current White House occupant has already said he will respect no election results that do not favour him. Or could the abomination be some attack on another sacred symbol, such as the Statue of Liberty, our mother of exiles, or rather, the poem at her base? Emma Lazarus's sonnet, The New Colossus, with its advocacy on behalf of poor, tired and huddled masses, of the homeless and tempest-tossed, stands as a searing indictment of the US government's innumerable cruelties and injustices against the immigrant and refugee, tearing infants from their mothers' breasts, sexual assaults by officers, even forced hysterectomies on young women. Stephen Miller, Trump's leading architect of atrocity in immigration, has already denounced Lazarus's poem, Will he or his ilk perpetrate some fresh outrage against it? Finally, how does COVID play into all of this? Plague is an agent of social reform in the Bible and ultimately an abolitionist. Moses wielded it to set free the Israelites from their bondage of servitude, and when one plague failed to convince Pharaoh, another waited in the wings, ten in all. 
In the early days of COVID, we saw awakenings of radical social change. Suddenly, skies and waterways cleared, fossil fuel production abated, the homeless were housed, prisons emptied. The UN Secretary General called for a global ceasefire to end the sickness of war, and even the World Bank asked G20 leaders to offer debt relief to the world's poorest countries. But it was not long before traditional power structures reasserted themselves. Rents were enforced, debts called in, evictions resumed, oil and stock market prices rallied, and the billionaire class enriched itself further at the expense of everybody else. It was business as usual, only more so, and where reality failed to reflect that, politicians asserted it anyway, and many bought into the rhetoric. Some governments even saw COVID as an opportunity to capitalize on fear, to exert more surveillance and control on their populations. These developments echo Pharaoh's response, when Moses' plague started to bite, of imposing yet harsher conditions on the enslaved population. So where will COVID's agenda go next? Logic and precedent dictate it ups the ante, that it delivers increasingly insistent measures and messages until the hard-hearted pharaohs of this world are forced to relent. I acknowledge this is to confer on COVID such human or even divine endowments as sovereignty, will and intention. But now observe COVID's structure, which we have all seen through magnified images, a bright central sphere surrounded by dark goads. Humanity is being goaded all right, but the underlying halo structure sings of a higher purpose animating it. So even if these are the end times, what do we have to fear? End times doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world or the end of all life, but only the end of our world as we know it. The old order of things must die, so that a new era of awakening and transformation, justice and peace may live. If I understand the scriptures correctly, and again I emphasize that no mortal has the authority to be definitive on this, that is the ultimate outcome promised. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. Revelation 11.15 To conclude, I have here set out various inferences, hints and clues to observe in our age. I see not clear definitions, for to no man or woman is such permitted, but I invite you to peer with me, as through frosted glass, at shapes and forms that are gradually coming into focus. Yet whatever lens we use to interpret Scripture, or whichever professional interpreters claim to do so for us, the Bible ever conveys one undeniable principle, one universal declaration that itself carries prophetic import, and that is the commandment to love others as we love ourselves. This is the royal law, or golden rule, and it is all the guidance we need, whether individual, nation, organization, or institution, to transform the world, within and without. It rests on no other precept, and is sufficient in itself to put to death the old order of things, along with its systematic cruelty and injustice, and to bring to life a new dispensation of peace. In short, to bring heaven to earth. This piece, The End Times Election, is from the Verses Versus Empire series. Find out more at geni.us.
slash POTUS.